Hello, everyone, and welcome back to There Was an Idea. In this episode, we're the Avengers, man. This is a fun one. Been looking forward to it for a really long time. Infinity War. We're almost there. The big finale of the Avengers movies. I caught up with my friend Rob, a return guest. You'll recognize him from the episode that we did on Captain America Winter Soldier in season one. We had a really interesting conversation about all of the gains and losses of the many different Avengers in this movie and talked about the unique aspect of having an antagonist who gets what he wants. If you're enjoying the podcast, please consider leaving a rating and review. And you can find us at anidea underscore podcast on Twitter and Instagram. Enjoy the episode. I am TK of New York, and I am burdened with glorious purpose. I'm a high school teacher by day, and I'm also a huge fan of pop culture. And this is There Was an Idea, a Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast that finds itself at the place where those two things meet. Join me and some special guests as we explore the MCU through concepts in the humanities. Spoiler alert, one of those concepts is intertextuality, and as such, each episode of this podcast will likely contain spoilers for multiple films in the MCU. Thinkers, inquirers, and lovers of entertainment, assemble. With me today, I have a return guest. You know him as the featured voice on our Winter Soldier episode. Some call him Mr. C. To others, he's just Robbie Baby. <laughs> it's my friend and fellow history teacher, Rob Carrera. Rob, thank you for being here today. Thank you so much, Tara. Robbie Baby is my official superhero name, I've decided, <laughs> and I think the public has voted. But I was planning on going frame by frame, breaking this movie down so clear. Your schedule's no, but I'm just so We're excited be here to be here, Tara. Thank you so much. I'm really, I'm just really, really honored to be back on the show. Thank you so much. Yeah. Well, last time we spoke, well, we we work together, so I see you all the time. <laughs> um, but the last time we spoke on a microphone about the MCU, uh, it was the early days of the podcast, episode two, Winter Soldier. And uh, we've come a long way since then. And I'm really, really excited to have you back and get your take on Infinity War. So before we really dig into it, what is your broad strokes impressions of this movie? What do you think of it? Where does it rank for you within the MCU? So... It's tough because do you treat it just as its movie alone, right? Like its own standalone? Do you have to use the context of the entire universe? I remember we were talking about Winter Soldier being in my top five. For me, this one actually goes back really between no number one and number two, yeah. depending on the day, right? So maybe tomorrow I'll say number one. With the context of the universe, I'll probably say it is number two. But when it had originally come out, and as I'll discuss further, it was my favorite for quite a few reasons that as I've discussed with some friends, they were kind of shocked why I said it was number one. Um, but it's definitely up there as top, top, all time favorites. I want to know about that, but do you want to save that for later? I think it's going to be a juicy little tidbit. Okay. I don't want to give away everything in the beginning <laughs> of the podcast and the viewers are like, oh, we're done. Okay, cool. I'm out. Okay, that's right. That's totally fair. Um, so I agree. I, I, For me, Infinity War is definitely up there. It's hard for me to actually rank a top five, but I know that this movie is definitely in it. And mm. um, again, yeah, day to day, I might be I might be in the mood to rewatch <laughs> like the 2012 Avengers yes. more than I might be in the mood to rewatch this one. But um, the more I think about this movie, the more it, it blows me away. So mm -hmm. so a little bit of context. Avengers Infinity War directed by Anthony Russo and Joe Russo. Ever heard of them? <laughs> they are the dream team. They really um, are. Well, they and the other the other dream team, the writers Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely. Uh, this movie was released in April 2018. Worldwide, this film grossed over $2 billion, making it the fifth highest grossing film of all time to this date. You know, I've talked in previous episodes about how much of an ambitious feat it really was to create something like 2012's The Avengers in the first place. And just to think of how far it's come from then even. Um, and I've, I've talked about the roles of Age of Ultron, mm -hmm. Captain America Civil War, all of these movies and how they move this vast, intricate, intertextual web that is the MCU forward. Absolutely. Each time I talk about one of these movies, I'm just more and more blown away by the aspirations of this franchise and the, all of the accomplishments of the many talented contributors. Mm -hmm. As we went through the phases and we got more and more of these team-up movies, there were more heroes to juggle and more characters who had been on their own identity journeys, who have changed and grown across these movies, across these phases. And so the team has to change and grow too. 
And on top of that, there are characters who are newer to the franchise who also join the team at this point in the franchise. So people like Doctor Strange and Black Panther. Mm. And it really impresses me so much and makes me so happy as a fan to see how well this movie incorporates all of these heroes, whether they've been around since phase one or just joined in phase three. And it really honors, in my opinion, the journeys that the characters like Thor and Tony and Steve have been on all along. And in my opinion, it, it really brings in not just these new people, but also their worlds, right? So the look and feel and tones of these different worlds come together in this movie in a really effective way for me. Um, so you even get that Guardians of the Galaxy pop music moment. Oh, I loved it. Yeah. <laughs> so good with space on the mm -hmm, screen in huge mm -hmm. letters. And so not only do you see somebody like Stephen Strange in this movie, but his friend Wong is also there fighting alongside mm -hmm. him. And not only is T'Challa in this movie, but Okoye and Shuri and M'Baku and all of these people. And you actually see the New York Sanctum again and you see Wakanda. And even though these supporting characters don't get a ton of screen time, what they get in this film feels really respectful. To me personally, it, it doesn't feel shoehorned in. And I think it really makes sense. So for me, like an example that's so small, but really stands out is the example of M'Baku and his mm -hmm. tribe joining that fight in Wakanda, because the movie that came out before this one was Black Panther. Yeah. And that makes so much sense to bring this character in, mm -hmm. even just for a brief moment. Um, so I, I'm geeking out about it, but I'm just endlessly impressed by this movie and could probably spend forever going on and on about another it, entire episode right probably <laughs> um but i want to kind of get into it and uh rob i know you have a lot of feelings too so so let's get into it let's do this thing uh i just wanted to quickly comment though tara on what you said i couldn't agree more it's almost like the writers came together and and they're like you know everyone out there is saying we can't get every single hero in here with mm -hmm. fidelity and due diligence so challenge accepted let's try to write a script where it's not like Let's just throw them all in there and see what happens. But every single scene has a purpose, especially after rewatching it two, three more times. You really do get the sense that every single scene and character in that role that they're playing in that moment is a beautiful transition from any previous movies they've been in. Mm -hmm. And they do offer something unique to the current movie in Infinity War. Even Wong, right? Gets invited to Tony's wedding, right? When he gets rid of that big bag monster. He's like, Wong, you're invited to the wedding. So like, even those small moments, as you were mentioning, yeah. I think were really artfully done. Yeah, I completely agree. It's part of what makes it uh, so special to me. And I think in other franchises or other, I, I think not off the top of my head, but I know there are examples of other movies or media where they try to fit everything in to make fans happy. Mm-hmm. But it felt just like that. It felt like, oh, this yeah. was fan service. I'll be frank. I mean, I don't want to start a, a whole war on, you know, the, <laughs> the social media right But I feel like DC, you kind of yeah. look at what they were trying to do and catch up to the success of Marvel. And they come out with their Justice League movie so quickly. And you're kind of like, who the hell are these guys, right? Like right. the story arcs, the character development just really wasn't rich enough. It wasn't there. So you understand why a lot of hardcore fans of really superhero movies kind of felt shortchanged because right. they try to jump the gun and get to the place where Marvel had already been. But again, not respecting the process that Marvel had done this over many, many movies over over 10 years of, of cinema. So it's right. important to keep that in mind. And there's such a distinction between making writing and directing decisions that that serve fans in a respectful way versus pander to right. fans, right? Exactly. And it can be a fine line, um, but I think in a, in a huge movie like this, and I'll say for Endgame as well, that I I feel like it's very much on that respectful line mm -hmm. because it makes sense. Exactly. All right, so... There's just so much to talk about. <laughs> it's just incredible. It really is. Um, I mean, I think you, you know, just in preparation for this, had me thinking about so many things about like even basic questions like what does it mean to be an Avenger, right? Us refocusing that. Who are the Avengers in relationship to one another? Um, since chronologically it makes sense, I kind of liked the whole aspect of kind of their individual identities. What are they sacrificing yeah. and what are they then kind of gaining in the identity of an Avenger? And, you know, it kind of struck me. I'll just be honest right out of the gate. Maybe this is a hot take. I don't think they gain anything. I think being an Avenger and just the, the expectation, the pedestal that these heroes are put on, it's just all sacrifice and no gain. It's almost as if they're fighting just not to lose anything, right, at the end of the day. Sure. And they're really not gaining anything. I mean, you take Thor as a perfect example. Like, he's really gained nothing through 
every single, except for maybe an incredible six pack, but he's really <laughs> not gained a lot personally. You know, he's become a incredible character overcoming all of those losses of his father, his mother, his friends in the previous movies. And then in this one to lose his brother, Loki, oh my God, I know, in right? that scene. And it's almost like when he's asked by, uh, you know, uh, but it's when he keeps calling him rabbit in the movie's like rabbit. <laughs> but when that. he, but when he's asked by, you know, him, Rocket, he's like, well, he's dead maybe this time. But again, all that loss, it's almost like these Avengers are just constantly put in this place where they lose and they lose and they lose. And they're technically just fighting to stop the loss. I don't really see them gaining anything. So maybe that's a hot take, but that's just how I personally kind of felt. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, if you agree, disagree, but. Yeah, no, I think it's really, really interesting. And I think the over the course of talking about Avengers, Avengers Age of Ultron and Civil War in the past month that I've been uh, kind of focusing on these movies for the podcast, the conversations that I've been having with others, what's come up a few times is that if anybody is gaining from kind of the collective identity of Avenger and what this mission to be an Avenger is, it would be Steve Mm. and Natasha. Mm -hmm. That's kind of where in in different conversations we've landed. Mm -hmm. Um, I know some of your guests have been actually (laughs) anti-captain, to be honest. They were like, oh, what a wet blanket. I thought that was a hot take. That that was was a hot take. Well, that's why I only put that in the outtakes episode. because uh, something. Just to bring that back to the surface. I mean, that was was quite a hot take. I totally disagree too, because I'm such a Cap fan. Cap is my guy. Like He's 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 like my number one. He's my guy in the trenches. But I, yeah, and I think this may come up too for later on in our discussion, but to kind of summarize some of those other conversations I've had, you know, Steve lost everything when he made that decision to sacrifice mm-hmm. himself in the 40s. Mm-hmm. And then being back in this world, being an Avenger is the only thing he has. It's his only connection to a found family, a new, you know, a new connection to the modern world. And then for Natasha, too, it, it, it was kind of a found family thing for her. Right. So that's kind of where we landed. But I broadly, you know, agree with you that this is not a glamorous life. And they are all willing to lay down their own lives mm-hmm. at any minute. Any minute. It's so true. But off of your point, I have to just respectfully push back because look at what happened after Civil War. Mm. It's Cap and Natasha who are now labeled as the criminals for just standing up for what they believe in. And I was reflecting on this. You know, Captain in Winter Soldier is literally willing to do anything for his country because he feels like he's behind S.H.I.E.L.D. When he realizes that's been corrupted by HYDRA, he's kind of in this dilemma like, what leader do I follow? Like, Mm. am I my own leader? Even though everyone calls him captain and they follow his orders, he's technically always been a soldier, right? Soldiers follow orders. So he's really thrust now into this situation where he has to make his own decisions. And frankly, if the Sokovia Accords of like Ultron had happened pre-Winter Soldier, I actually don't think there is a civil war. I think he agrees with Tony. Interesting. I think he agrees that they need this Ultron force to protect the whole world. But I think that that movie, and again, the writing and the timing is so just prudent for Cap's development because for him, he really has lost faith in everything except, as you just said, the Avengers, right? This found Mm -hmm. family. And when that becomes shattered, right? Again, Tony and him have never technically seen eye to eye from the Avengers on. I think it really just puts him in this position of, I'm really by myself. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a fugitive on the run. So again, just back to my earlier point, he's really technically lost everything, right? He does have Natasha, but it's just, no matter how hard he tries, he's just constantly being labeled as, you know, the enemy because he didn't fall in line to orders. I mean, again, I'm just just spewing these hot takes today because that's just how I personally felt just watching him in this movie, just and reflecting on Ultron, reflecting on what had happened in Civil War and in Winter Soldier. I think it was just so interesting how that story plays out for him. It is really interesting to see where he's at in this movie infinity war after all of that because this is a different steve rogers and mm-hmm. the the beard is our visual signal to i that. think it makes him more handsome frankly <laughs> I, but i'm biased i have a beard but yeah it's you're so right the ruggedness when he comes back right. and you're like this is not the clean cut soldier that we've come to know right he you know he that decision to abandon the shield mm-hmm. at the end of civil war right and to mm-hmm. walk away and you're you're absolutely right that he He's living, and he has been this whole time, but he's living this second life that he didn't ask for. Mm -hmm. He he sacrificed himself, not expecting that he would be brought back, and not expecting that he'd land in a completely different context than what he left. And how about that scene where, you know, it's technically the guy's there like as a hologram, but he's like, 
I want, I'm not going to accept your apology. And Cap just yeah. right away says, I'm not here to ask for forgiveness or for permission. You yeah. know, I'm here because I was called. And again, it's showing that he's only there because he is fighting for the values that he still holds and not for anybody else, not because he's taking orders. He's sticking to his guns on yeah. what he thought was right, even though he's being labeled as a criminal. But funny, can I be honest? I think it's the exact same reason that Thanos is doing what he's doing. I mean, okay, not to transition to Thanos. He's doing what he thinks is right. Like we can call him the vi villain the whole time, but technically the United States of America in this movie is labeling Captain as a villain, right? right. So what's that line between villain or anti-hero, right? Right. It's just, it's all about labels. It, and it, it's just interesting, in my opinion, to think about. Yeah, so I, I definitely have some thoughts and I want us to discuss a little bit more about Thanos's ideology and morality. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you want to go there right now or if you want to come back to that later. We could come back. Yeah, we can come back to that. Um, Is there anything else you wanted to mention save that before? As a that, yeah, save, save it. Save it for the hot save takes again at the end of the podcast. Keep you guys listening. <laughs> That's right. I think that your comments on Steve are really interesting and, and have me thinking more and more now about what turning point civil war really was for him and in his life has been turning point after turning point right and mm -hmm. it's been sacrifice after sacrifice and when it seems like there's not even more there that there can't be more for him to lose he continues yeah he continues to lose mm -hmm. and he he even has that comment so while we're on the topic of cap <laughs> i think one of my absolute favorite moments in this movie is his entrance when the train goes by yeah, and then he's standing behind there and that music cue. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. On point. That's the best. And it you see so his beard. Yep. His beard looks awesome. And his hair is like, longer back. hair. He's still jacked. Yep. It's incredible. Um, that I love that movie. And then the Sam bad boy life Tasha. really does suit him. I'll tell you. It really <laughs> does. And you're talking about turning points. If you had to roadmap his life, it'd be the curviest road of all time Absolutely. on any American map. It's so true. Absolutely. But you're right. I love his entrance back into the, into the film. It was so apropos. Yep. I felt. Probably one of, if I had to pick a favorite moment mm -hmm. from the movie, it, it probably would be that moment. And then, you know, followed by Sam and Natasha coming in as well. And that mm -hmm. music, it's it's amazing. Because I like that team. I like the Cap, Natasha, Sam. Well, think about it. I mean, Vision, Wanda. I like that team a lot. Right. Well, and I was just going to say like Cap, Natasha, frankly, like they're kind of like the only ones that you would argue are like not the superheroes, right? But like Cap, yes. Was he injected with amazing steroids? Sure. But again, like technically he's still human, right? He could die. Yeah. He's the only one that really doesn't, or in Natasha especially, they're not really given much to work with besides like the superhuman strength, but like Vision can shoot superhuman beams out of his of forehead. And, Natasha and Scarlet Witch too, right, yeah. With her incredible power. So it's almost like I respect them even more because they are technically the most vulnerable at all times. Yeah. Um, and, he, and Sam too, and Sam, Sam yeah. right? Like he Amazing pilot, but out of all of them, he is the most vulnerable, yet he's the one that consistently stays committed to what he thinks is doing the right thing. So loyal. To, so loyal in that hero role. So yeah, again, if anything, I respect him even more for that because they're technically working with what you would argue is so much less. You got Thor summoning thunder and lightning out of a hammer and the and Stormbreaker, as we'll probably course, talk about yeah. later. But yeah, so I think I, I really do appreciate how humble but incredible those heroes become um, throughout the franchise. Yeah, I completely agree. And uh, that moment, so after they come in and they save Wanda mm -hmm. and Vision, and, Vision. Mm -hmm. and they're on the on the Quinjet, and I forget which, I think Natasha says to him, like, where to Cap? And he says, home. And I think this is really interesting. So again, we're talking about his sacrifices, his losses, and kind of thinking about has he gained anything? Or if he has gained something, has he lost it again? Mm -hmm. And I thought that him saying home was such an interesting callback to a motif that comes up in Age of Ultron when he's talking with Sam about, like, there's this idea of, like, what is home? What would be home for Cap? Right. And mm -hmm. I think that that's kind of what he's searching for throughout this series. And we kind of know where that ends up in Endgame um, in terms of what going home actually means for him. Mm -hmm. But I, I thought agree. that was an interesting line in this movie too. Like, what does that mean to you in this moment, right? He He's gritty in this movie. Yep. Really I didn't even catch that, but I think you're so, that's such a great point. I really liked it. It's even making me think, yeah, it's just an incredible part of the story, his yeah. story, right? I like that. So we kind of we kind of went from Thor to Cap there. I don't know. A lot, you were, there's just so much to talk about. <laughs> but since we're talking about, I guess, like who the Avengers are in relationship to each other, right. I will just throw out there. I really do think that, and it's from the get-go, you kind of see Tony in that moment of 
you know, realizing that he needs Captain America, right? The amazing like flip mm-hmm. phone moment. Yes. <laughs> and I had a chuckle at that. I was like, yeah, that, that, that used to be our bread and butter, right? The flip phone moment. He knows the right thing is to call Captain in that moment. But again, we're talking about who are these Avengers, especially in relation to each other. They are, except for Thor, they're like, they're all human, right? Yeah. And except for Vision and a few others. But they're, they really are human. They have their flaws and, right, too much pride. Right, that constant being put on a pedestal, we forget that they are human, just like me and you. They they have their flaws, you know. But us as normal people, if we lived in this world, do we accept those? Do we have to continue to keep them on that high pedestal? And that is like a very honest moment with himself, where he really isn't going to call Cap until you know the invasion happens in that yeah. in those earlier scenes. Um, you get the sense that he wasn't going to right. He was going to tr- just try to figure it out on him on his own yeah. because the family dynamic, quote unquote, of the Avengers had been so splintered. And even Banner, who you know he's away <laughs> during Thor Ragnarok, he comes back and he's like, "What do you mean we broke up? Like the Beatles? You <laughs> like, know, a like, band? <laughs> like, like a band? Like a band? Right? Like it's so interesting to think like, is that how they're treated? Like like this group of like superhero, like you know, power potential, but." Yeah, there was so much family dynamic and respect and love at one point that to to be quote unquote broken up is such an interesting way to phrase it, but it is technically so accurate, you would argue, yeah. you know? It's interesting. Like a couple of the humorous moments really do shed some insight because this idea of they being do. broken up like a band and then uh, when Thor meets the Guardians and they say, oh, and he's like, yeah, the Avengers, Earth Mightiest Heroes yeah. and, and Mantis is like, is Kevin Bacon not yeah. like, you know? He might have joined since have I gone. left yeah. here, right? <laughs> it's almost this idea like, you know, yeah. Thor's in that moment like it's obviously very humorous but he's there's something to this fact that he's like very open-minded that he's like yeah maybe right i don't know what and kevin bacon if you're listening to this they're taking applications i heard right it's not too late we need you footloose bring that energy we need you back buddy (laughs) exactly like in footloose exactly like in footloose yeah (laughs) it's just thinking about all these guys they're dynamic and i will say just in terms of who they are in terms of each other i have to give tony a lot of respect because he really grows into i think someone that again if this is happening during the first Iron Man movie, when he's so prideful, so oh you God, know, yeah. arrogant, you mm-hmm. know, cocky. Now he's like thinking, remember, he like one of the first scenes we see with him, he's reflecting on a dream he had with Pep and being like, yeah. it was so real. I, like, I thought we were expecting, right? Already thinking about his future, trying to be a father. And I think he projects that onto, you know, Spider-Man, onto Peter Parker. Yes. And like, you know, not to jump to the end of the movie, but as he's disintegrating in his oh arms, you literally feel in that moment that Tony is losing his son because of how much I think he has grown as a character. And, you know, it's in those moments where, you know, you hear parents reflecting that they literally tried everything they could, but, you know, you can't outrun destiny and what's going to happen to your children. Um, it, it did f- literally feel like one of those moments. And my heart, you know, you, you, your heart breaks in that, that moment. Scene, because oh my it, God. it literally did feel like he could do nothing to help him in that moment. As much as he had done everything so much for him up until that point, there was nothing he could do. I love Tony in this movie. And there have been other films in which I have not liked the portrayal of his relationship mm-hmm. to Peter. Mm-hmm. Like in Homecoming and Far From Home, for example, there are some things that feel uh, irresponsible on mm-hmm. Tony's part. Like, why would you give this kid a kill suit, right? Like mm-hmm. that whole kind of thing. But I, I love his relationship to Peter in this movie. I love how he he's playing the dad role. He doesn't think Peter should be on the spaceship. He tells him it's a one-way ticket. Mm -hmm. He doesn't want him there. Mm -hmm. But then when Peter says to him, you know, I can't be friendly neighborhood Spider-Man without the neighborhood. And he Mm kind of just like looks at him and Tony recognizes that. Tony recognizes that sense of this kid knows that with great power comes great responsibility. And he says, you know, kid, you're an Avenger now. Mm -hmm. Right. And I I think that that's really, I love their relationship in this movie. And he does respect him. He listens to where he's like, have you seen aliens? <laughs> yeah. And he actually just shoots the whole yeah. of the ship. So then he pops out. So yeah, there is that kind That's of great. dynamic of respect. But I totally agree with what you're saying there. I think it's just, again, the writers, tremendous job there kind of in that arc specifically of Infinity War doing a good job there. Love it. And it's it's one small piece of this huge, sprawling, long movie. But I think it it plays out so nicely, the relationship yeah. between those two characters mm-hmm. in this movie. Um, I like, Mr. Stark, it smells like a new car in here. Yeah, it's just so <laughs> nice. It probably did. I'm jealous, you know? And I think even in those, and again, we call them funny moments to make us laugh, but I think even over the entire franchise, those moments continue to remind us how human these heroes are. So I think like, you're a fan, you're going in, you're like, I can't wait to watch this superhero movie, right? And we continue to lose sight that they are humans and that they become even more human i think every single movie and again like just going back to cap and tony 
the pride, right? Not mending that relationship. That's a very real thing, right? You have a breakup or you have mm-hmm. a falling out with somebody. Those are just real things that we as people can connect to, yeah, right? From our own experiences. And I think that woven in there is just a really good nod to the human condition that the writers realize like, hey, this is real. It doesn't matter if you can fire rockets out of your arm. You know, these are things you have to grapple with every day. Completely agree. And on that topic of, you know, I, some of the moments that I love the most are these like little moments between Tony and Pepper. And because I think in a way that, like you said, it, it's grounding it in the, the reality of mm-hmm. the emotion. Mm-hmm. Um, and speak, speaking of this idea of, of loss, like what do they lose as being part of this, this team? You know, Tony's sense now at this point to his moral duty, I think he's learned a lot from Cap, right? Mm-hmm. He's, he's taken a few pages out of Cap's book in terms of planning, in terms of what he says to Dr. Strange about like, yeah, great moral compass you have, right? When Dr. Strange is talking about being willing to sacrifice. Yeah, and if this members. is Iron Man, the first Iron Man, he would never have said that. He would have exactly. been like, I'm, I'm right on the same page with you, my man. You're so right. He, you know, he's getting, you know, Cap really is rubbing off on him. Completely. Without it completely. being explicitly said, but in those subtle ways, you're absolutely right. right. And you can, t- I mean, he's been carrying that phone on him. Like, you know, yeah. I, I think that, that that has really made a big impact on him. The other thing I was going to say is specifically about um, what he's given up because of his sense of duty to not to the Avengers as an organization, but to what it means to be an Avenger is, um, you know, I think it, it's so nice in that moment when Pepper is calling him and he's he's leaving the atmosphere mm-hmm. and Friday, his suit is telling him like we're losing her. He probably and- had AT&T or something. You should have gotten Verizon. <laughs> that should have been like a good plug for a commercial there. But yeah, Hilarious. you're right. Um, but yeah, like just like we're, we're losing her, right? And just like what that means in that moment. Like, okay, obviously we can't hear her anymore, but that sense of he just told his to-be wife, right? No more surprises. Mm-hmm. Like, And here he is. Yeah. And it's not because he doesn't love her or has no sense of loyalty to her. It's because that it's because being an Avenger is mm-hmm. who he is. It's what he has chosen to do with his power. Yeah. And, and again, in, in that moment, She's like, well, we can't have a kid because of this. And, you know, she taps mm. at his, uh, you know, it is at basically what makes him Iron Man. And he's so, you know, hesitant to let it go. And he's like, oh, I had the surgery. I would be fine. Right. So technically he's doing it by choice now. Right. Where it's almost like it's a part of him. He can't lose, you know, that magnetic core that kept the fragments away from his heart. You yeah. know, they're gone. He's keeping it because exactly he, I think personally, can't strip that layer of what it means to be Iron Man, even if right. it means a future with Pepper. It's a hard dynamic for him. And speaking of family dynamics, again, I mean, there's so many layers, but I think if Thanos invades where it goes after the Infinity Stones pre-Civil War, I wonder if they win the first mm, time around, right? Because again, Civil War fracturing the family. And maybe they try to do this, maybe they didn't the writers, but again, showing this human nature where they are so divisive now, right? Our heroes, they're not on the same page. Captain wanting more individual freedom, not wanting the Sokovia Accords, not trusting that the politicians would do the right thing anymore. Mm-hmm. And again, that's a huge change of you know his opinions throughout the movies. On the other side, Tony wanting the Accords, had this happened pre-Civil War, you'd argue they're united, they're all together, yeah. Ant-Man becomes enormous right, <laughs> right away, and bing, bang, boom, Thanos is done, right? Sure. But timing's everything, right? And Thanos coming around now gets the Avengers really, you know, frankly, at the worst time, the old saying is, you know, caught them with their pants down, right? Yeah. Because they're just not united. They just weren't ready for it. And it's almost like, frankly, like they lost that ability to compromise because of their flaws as humans and you know in civil war we see that they can't compromise uh you know frankly let's connect it to like even our own politics with congress so sure. I, I think we've kind of lost our ability to compromise we're just so ground into our own thoughts that they had a civil war over Absolutely. it right um it's just in my opinion connecting it to the history and what we talk about with politics in our own classrooms tara i thought that was pretty um you know just pretty relevant maybe that's a stretch but it did occur to me that had this occurred pre-Civil War, I think they easily defeat Thanos. You know, it's a really interesting idea that I hadn't actively thought about. But as, as you said, right, we concern ourselves a lot when we're teaching about context, right? And mm-hmm. when and where things happen matters to how they happen, right? Um, and I think that that's a really, really interesting idea to reflect more on. I will also say, because of Civil War, and you could argue throughout the entire Avengers, they operate as a team, sure, but if, you know, gun to your head or gun to my head, who's the leader? 
Mm. It'd be hard to say. Yeah. And I wonder if that's actually why Thanos is so successful. There's a clear line of succession and power and leadership, right? The Avengers, not so much, right? So yeah. is that maybe also why they fall short in this movie? I and again, it. this is the time where I want to keep Endgame kind of out right. of the picture. And I will finally take my hot take, if that's okay, from the first <laughs> line I had. Why this was my favorite movie, I think, at the time, is because if you think about it, how many superhero movies do you watch where the heroes blatantly lose? Right. right? So I'm thinking outside of Dark Knight, and the reason I say Dark Knight is because even though in that movie, you know, Batman stops the Joker, the Joker is successful in that Batman has to flee, right? He's technically yep. still labeled as a fugitive. Frankly, it you'd be very hard-pressed to find in any other movie, right? Comic books aside, movie where you don't have the hurrah-hurrah at the end yeah. and the heroes are victorious, right? Had this just exi existed by itself, I think it's a wonderful way to, again, exemplify that these heroes are human, they have their flaws, and you know what? Yeah, they're going to fail just like us every day. Endgame is all about dusting themselves off and figuring it out, but mm -hmm. that for me is why it was my favorite. And even with everything that happens in Endgame, let's bring it back to the fold and them trying to quote unquote make things right, you still lose Natasha, right? Yeah. You know, Gamora doesn't remember everything because it's a different Gamora technically. So yeah. all of these things have to be taken into consideration where you would argue technically Thanos still did win, right? He changed the entire landscape of the franchise for the Avengers, right? For all these superheroes moving forward. And you generally don't see that very often with Absolutely these types not. of movies. It's a rare thing to see the antagonist be successful mm -hmm. in the end. Makes you think. Absolutely. Makes you think. Yeah. I, I, I appreciate that about this movie too, how it subverts your expectations in that way. And of course, like, okay, as a two-parter, you know, you're going to get a happier ending mm -hmm. after the second mm -hmm. part. But the fact that, you know, we had to sit with this movie for a year. Right. Right. Let it mull over, stool over, not knowing what was going to happen. Mm -hmm. Right. There's that very real chance like, okay, maybe they don't figure it out. Right. Right. But even so, you got to give the writers a tremendous amount of credit with the Ant-Man plot. I thought that was genius, right? Where he's obviously stuck and then he comes back. It, that actually was very clever. It I really, really appreciated is. that. And, you know, they did a tremendous job then in Endgame, kind of then making sure that that made sense and that it was successful. But obviously, just coming back to Infinity War, that is why I really did love the entire, like, you know, I was shocked. I was like, wow, okay, now what? You know, like the bad yeah. guy won. Like, how often do you say that? Yeah. So did your feelings change then after Endgame came out? I mean, Endgame had that incredible fight scene at the end, yeah. and we've talked about this personally, but like when Cap's pretty much there by himself against Thanos, he was like, ugh, he's like this again, you know, he's by himself, he's got to <laughs> deal with this guy. And then, you know, Sam, like on your left, right, coming oh, back. So good. That's such an, you know, back to Winter Soldier. That was an amazing moment. And essentially the family coming back together, right? Getting over the, you know, the, the heartbreak and the divorce and coming back together but yeah the more and more i think about it i i probably would say that infinity war might still be my favorite it's so tough because they're both so great in their own right and then if you want to have me back for you know the second movie we'll talk <laughs> about that one but yeah it's it's funny it's funny and just to thanos too i mean if that's okay if we transition to let's him, do it yeah i just love his arc you know say what you want i think you enjoy a movie better when the villain you sometimes kind of almost agree with them. You're kind of like, wow, he's bringing up some good points. Right. When and there's that humanization. There's a humanization, yeah. right? Like you realize he's lost so much when he reflects on Titan and all that. But like literally from the beginning of the movie where, you know, there's this scene with Thor. And then again with his cronies being like, rejoice because you're dying at the hand of Thanos, right? Mm. I guess this religious experience that you should be thankful. But frankly, this has been revisited across the stream of movies quite often where you kill a few to save the many, right? Mm -hmm. We see it plugged in with different villains, right? Hydra was a huge example. We saw that there. Ultron, similar, right? right? So now we see it with Thanos. You're like, oh, is this just, are they beating a dead horse? I argue no, because the difference with Thanos is he reflects on it too in his kind of dialogue with Gamora about like 50 minutes in, uh, or it might be further, excuse me, but about an hour in, he starts talking just to her and he, you know, talks about the planet only having a finite mm -hmm. amount of resources. And she's like, what gives you the right? And he's almost like, I'm the one, he's almost like, I have the only right, or I'm the only one that's willing to take action. Mm -hmm. So it's 
Uh, my dad always said, just because you have the keys to the car doesn't mean you should drive it. <laughs> well, he's the type like, I have the keys to the car. I am going to drive it because yeah. I have the power to do that. So it's just really interesting that, yeah, he technically, you know, is the most powerful being in the universe. He has decreed himself as the only one that has the right to do this and that it should be done in order to save the many, right? Yep. To sacrifice the few. Right. Thanos is so interesting because he's not sitting there twirling his mustache, right? Like he, I don't think he could grow one technically, <laughs> but yes, he's got to in that. He feels, he feels the pain of what it means. I understand he's not human, but to, to of what it means to love and to be part of a community and to be part of a family. And when we see that as viewers, that is what humanizes a character to us. The fact that he is, as you said, reflective. The mm -hmm. fact that he is in touch with these real questions. Mm -hmm. Now, what I think is interesting is that Thanos, he, I think, is a really good example of power and like what you do with power saying something about who you are. Mm -hmm. Because, and I remember, this is not an original thought, because I remember this was a thought that was kind of out there everywhere when this movie came out. If he has all of these Infinity Stones... Couldn't he use that power to do good mm -hmm. rather than wipe out half the universe? Why not just provide the universe with the resources that it needs? Maybe. Yeah. Right. So that's hell it. of an idea. Listen, <laughs> but it's funny because he's so hell bent on being like what he's doing is good. That's what's so interesting, right? He is still so committed that what he is doing really is for the greater good to the point. And again, almost you hate to say like, oh, Thanos is a human. He has to sacrifice, right? His favorite daughter, right. favorite adopted right. daughter. And he's shedding a tear in that powerful scene, right? On the planet where they're trying to get the soul stone. And, you know, Gamora's like, you know, almost like poking fun that he's crying. And he says, those tears are not for him, right? They're for you. Yeah. And realizing what he has to do to get the soul stone. Yeah, uh, and he says later too that um, it cost everything. Yes. And that's so, I think it's interesting and it's a testament to this movie and it's writing and it's a testament to this the construction of this villain. And I understand he comes from the comics, but I also understand that he's very different in the comics. Mm -hmm. So I think what they did with him here is really interesting because it is suggesting to us that he loved Gamora as his, his family mm -hmm. and that this was personal for him. This wasn't just, I'm this... Uh, I'm this person who's like in my cave and I have yeah. this idea about mm -hmm. what, what World humanity, yeah, yeah. Or like what humanity needs and I'm the one to solve it. Right. Like it, it, there was this personal thing for him, which is just so interesting. And ultimately, you know, I, I have to feel like I fall on the side that he's villainous. If what he chooses to do with his power is more harmful than it is helpful. Right. But at the same time, I recognize all of those things that they're doing that make him a complex character, and I love that. I have to be honest, watching the movie in the theaters the first time, I was like, for a split moment, I was like, oh my God, the writers made me feel bad for this guy. Yes. When yes. he has to sacrifice her, I was like, oh my God, like I literally, my heart went out to him. Because you see in the scene earlier in the movie, he's like, I thought you would sit on this throne one day, right? Like he was literally grooming her, like he would see yeah. normal, like let's just say royal, royal, royal family, right? right? Training her to be the next ruler quote-unquote of the galaxy yeah. and you know coming full circle to be like he had to sacrifice her for to for his vision to come to fruition yeah. you know it, it it literally as you said it, it he had to sacrifice everything and even that little moment um at the end when it's done and and he is in his little hut right, right. And, and he gives like this tiny little smile i just think it's just so well well done because mm -hmm. it's that same sort of thing where our heroes lost and this is the bad guy, but I'm a viewer and like there's almost this satisfaction in, in his like gentle kind of smile of like, all right, I did it. I accomplished what I needed to do. And in his mind, he did the right thing. He mm -hmm. did something that was merciful. But it's funny because you technically argue, like, again, we're cheating. We're going to, you know, reflect a little bit on Endgame. Right. And then you see him there and, you know, it's like I was actually shocked that he died so early in that one. Obviously, he comes back with the time mm -hmm. flash. We're flashing back in time. But I'm almost like, I'm reflecting again. He didn't gain anything, right? Like, what did he technically personally gain? Again, I think he lost more than he yeah. gained, right? As a character. So it's so interesting, right? What are you willing to do? And just to kind of connect to what we as people have to grapple with citizens every day, it's almost like, what are we willing to sacrifice to allow our governments to do, right? Like you have some countries that have a democracy, some that don't, some that have dictators, some that don't. And there's this constant back and forth. What are we as citizens willing to give up 
and what do we expect in return? Yeah. Thanos is this dictator mentality where he just took all the power, essentially did whatever he wanted to do. Everyone else is basically saying or trying to say, no, you can't. But it's interesting. They grappled with that exact same thing in Civil War. Right? Well, and that was a, another idea, too. And I, I you know. Maybe if I haven't made this clear, if if, I, <laughs> if I'm sounding like too much of a Thanos apologist because I like his little smile moment, like I, that's that's a testament to the writing of the character that they make exactly. you feel that Always way. Always blame the writing. <laughs> exactly. Always. But uh, I fall on the side of Thanos is villainous, and despite all of these things that I'm recognizing about the skill with which they humanize him and what that makes me feel as a viewer, I don't believe that he's right. I, I think that there's a small detail that comes up. With the character of Etri on, I'm going to say it wrong, Nilladevar. Nivadalir, I think. Nivadalir. That's a By the way, I agree with Miss Kearns that Thanos is a bad guy. I don't want people to be tomorrow like, oh my God, Mr. C is Thanos, all right? Or Rob Stan. I'm not. I agree. I'm just trying to play devil's advocate, right? No, of course. I think it's so interesting. And you know what? Good for Peter Dinklage getting a nice cameo. I know. He's great. His role was great. I loved it. I thought it was great. And again, sacrifice lost. Oh my he God. gave Thanos the gauntlet thinking it was going to save the 300 of his kin. Yeah. And he was literally left as the only one alive. Well, right? and, and that was actually one of my counterpoints to Thanos having a consistent morality, mm-hmm. even if we can recognize that it's not a morality that we agree with, right? We're, we're recognizing also that it's a complex morality and it's one that's very intriguing to watch. Um, but... I, I there was that detail that Itri shares about how he Thanos said that he was going to spare the the people, but then killed them anyway, and that was a, a red flag for me because I was like, well, to what extent is Thanos completely committed to his vision, or t- or to mm. what extent is he? That was an interesting moment. I have to agree to, with you. It yeah. seemed almost like anti Thanos or anti right. what he had previously kind of set out as a benchmark to what he would do. I do agree there. That, that was that an interesting was detail. Bit, yeah, I do like how Thanos doesn't kill any of the Avengers while they're fighting, right? Mm. He blasts some of them with the power stone, but mm. he doesn't go out of his way to kill them. He he lets, you know, fate decide. Mm-hmm. That whole thing about random, yeah. right? It's not rich or poor, or it's, it's going to be a random... Uh, you know, when Dr. Strange calls it genocide, and yeah. Thanos just says, but random, yeah. right? So he doesn't go out of his way to kill the Avengers, and even when he punches Cap, right, he easily, he could have taken Cap out in that moment, but yep. he punches him with his other hand. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was really interesting. Um, but he does almost kill Tony. <laughs> so I thought that was I think was it's personal too. for Tony, right? <laughs> he tries to argue it's not personal what he's doing, right? He always yeah. keeps saying that. It's not personal. It's for the balance, right? But you feel a little bit with Tony. It seemed a little bit personal. But no, that's a great point you brought up. I, I couldn't agree with you more. It is, you know, so interesting. And, and just thinking about you have these infinity stones one by one, what you could do with them. But again, it's he's just it's almost like it's business. It's not personal, right? Yeah. It's that classic, at least for him, what he was trying to do at the end of the day. Yeah, really interesting stuff. Oh, Thanos. Classic. Seriously. So I so well acted for a character who, you know, talking about uh, feeling that humanization, the fact that he is purple and, you know, CGI, like, yeah. but you still kind of get that human from him. It's mm-hmm. really interesting. Great performance by Josh Brolin. He's also in the universe of something else. What else? What else does he play? Now we're uh, now we're trying to look it up here. Look, at we didn't come prepared <laughs> with the facts. I'm sorry. Oh, he was in Deadpool, too. Oh, that's what it is. Yeah. Well, technically, though. Right, Marvel. Well, technically Marvel, not yeah. a, not technically MCU right, yet. Right, right, I've right. I've heard that they're well, gonna good for bring him, X-Men and Deadpool in. But uh, no, he did do I think a tremendous job of just again. We hate to say a personable character, but it really was it. You know, yeah. and that's I think what made the movie so rich Absolutely. is that we're not just watching this movie like oh we hate this guy he sucks. He has those human moments. Mm-hmm. He has those times where you empathize with him, and. He's doing what he's doing because, again, personally, he thinks what he's doing is right. And in another, again, thinking about context, in another time, in another place, could Thanos's ideology, morality, have aligned with the Avengers, right? If things had been different, he has some of the qualities that the Avengers has. He has mm-hmm. resolve. He has belief in, in what he thinks is right. He mm-hmm. has power, right? Like, he has... Um, 
love and familial connections, right? So it's, it's just really interesting to think Tony Stark in Civil War is also a person who believes the ends justify the means and has that utilitarian yeah. approach. And it's, so it is just really interesting to think, yes, he is villainous. The movie comes down on the side that he is villainous and he is not right. And we chop his head off in Endgame <laughs> because he's, you know, we would not do that to any of our heroes in, in that mm-hmm. way. Um, but I think it's still interesting. It's funny because something came up online. Why did Josh Brolin play two characters in Marvel Universe? So people are thinking about it. I'm just saying we brought it up. We're bringing up the important <laughs> questions. That's right. It's true. The idea of the sacrifice is a really, really big thing across the MCU. Mm-hmm. And certainly in this movie, it comes up a few different times. Uh, Thanos, as we just talked about, mm-hmm. is making the sacrifice of Gamora. Mm-hmm. We also have Gamora, who is so willing to sacrifice herself, right? And asking Peter to kill her, which I think is interesting. And then even for her sister, when she sees her sister in pain, she is right away just so willing to say, okay, stop, it's on uh, Voldemort. I think I'm probably going to pronounce that wrong. (laughs) Voldemort, yeah. Voldemort, sorry. Um, I almost said Voldemort. I was like, well, that's a different (laughs) podcast. That's Voldemort, that's different. Um, But yeah, she and I think, again, if this is pre-Guardians of the Galaxy, we don't see that. Yep. Her becoming a part of the Guardians of the Galaxy, caring about something other than herself. Yep. Huge difference in terms of her character development. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, it's- and even Peter Quill, who he is willing to sacrifice her in that moment when, you know, Thanos obviously uses the reality yeah. stone and the mm-hmm. bubbles come out of the gun. Yeah. He hesitates. He did, but he does it. But he does it. He does it because, and she, she made him promise, right? Yeah. And it, yeah, he's, he's torn. He kept saying like, I told you to go right. Yeah. Um he was so torn, but you're right, he ap- he absolutely does do it. And then again, like at the end, let's just skip to Endgame. What does he gain? Nothing. Like he has that incredible relationship that he's worked so hard with Gamora. I love their character arc during the Guardians of uh, the Galaxy movies. And then now he's stuck with a Gamora that doesn't even know who he is. Yeah. And you think about like if you had to be put in that position, like how difficult that would be then to, you know, build that foundation again. Yeah, it's again like he's really left again, lost more than he's gained. Um, it's just a, such an interesting theme that keeps coming back and back and back. I feel like I haven't given enough love to Groot. I do love yeah. Groot so much. And I love how they highlight like how he's going through puberty as so like, again, funny. a very real human thing, you know? So um, funny. I thought it was I, great. I, there's a couple little details again too in the humor. I love the fact that, talk about progression, talk about growth of this found family in this movie when he's playing the video, I was almost about to quote him as if it was a unique quote. Yeah. It's like in, when he, you know when he says, "I am Groot." Remember that one time he said, <laughs> "I am Groot," right? But the part when he's playing the video game and he's like, you can tell from the intonation that he said something mean mm-hmm. or snarky or mm-hmm. cursed or something, and they're all like language. Yeah. They all understood him now. Yeah, it's great. And I thought that was so interesting because in the first Guardians, they don't understand mm-hmm. Groot. And mm-hmm. by spending this time with him, they know his language. And now. I did love the little plug with Thor. He's like, yeah, we t- <laughs> it, was it was an elective, elective. on Asgard. Oh, yeah, I understand. It. I loved that too. But yeah, even little Groot here, you know, uh, teenage Groot making the sacrifice. I mean, okay, his arm grows back. His arm, his stick. But again, being <laughs> mature back. enough in that in yes. that moment to realize that he was needed and yes. to make sure that that happened because without that he, you know thor dies right without you know With stormbreaker Star-Bur- coming to his hand yeah. what an amazing thing to wield stormbreaker oh my god stormbreaker is awesome i also i want to amend something that were not amend but i want to add an addendum an addendum i was just gonna say the word <laughs> we're looking for is an addendum hit us tara something that i said in ragnarok and I love Ragnarok. I actually, so it's probably number three for me. I rewatched it last week just because I, I am doubling down that it's definitely, if it's not Infinity or Endgame, it's Ragnarok. I do love it. I love it. It's, it's up there for me mm-hmm. too. Great, great movie. And I, when we did that episode, I was thinking so deeply about Ragnarok and only like surface level about Infinity War. And I'm like, there's so much good character growth for Thor in Ragnarok. And then in Infinity War, they go ahead and, and he just finds another weapon. Isn't mm-hmm. isn't Ragnarok about how he has to learn who he is without his hammer, right? Without mm-hmm. his hair, without his eye, right? And then to what extent is that kind of undone by, okay, he's just going to go get another weapon. I take that back because looking at this movie again, I think it this is a progression of that growth. I don't think this undoes that because Stormbreaker is the weapon that he needs to go and get himself. 
Mm-hmm. Right. It's the weapon that he has worked for and earned. Mm-hmm. Mjolnir was kind of given to him. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And he took it for granted. Yeah. And then going through that loss and having to seek out the creation of his new weapon, I thought that was that was really great. It's true. I I, I hate to skip to Endgame, but that moment where so obviously spoiler, in case you're <laughs> trying to watch this, but when when Cap's able to summon, you mm-hmm. know. And there's even that moment where he summons the big one. He's like, no, I get the big one. You get the tiny one, right? <laughs> but it's funny because I, I rewatched um, Thor. I, you know, I got apparently I have all this free time. I'm rewatching all the Marvel movies. We need but, some we need some escapism after Yeah, work. he whispers into the <laughs> hammer, though. He's like, if he be worthy, right? Not if you're Thor, if he be worthy. And again, you talk about character development. And I think that everything Cap has gone through and his continuous commitment to do good, even when it puts him in conflict with others, even with Tony and with the Avengers, shows that, you know what, the hammer does say you are worthy, right? And so I thought that was also Agreed. incredible writing. And you do see it in Ultron a little bit where they're like all joking, yeah. trying to move it. And then there's it, a like, moment where Thor's watching Cap and he like moves it an inch. He's like, oh, no, I wasn't worried, right? That's <laughs> his face like not being worried, but he really was because, again, you see it early on that Cap is so close to being, even though human- Someone that is worthy of like that godlike status of uh, being uh, greater than others, you know. So I think that was really, I appreciated that moment of giving kind of, in my opinion, Cap his due. I completely agree. Mm -hmm. I completely agree that if anybody is, it would be, it would be Steve Rogers. Yeah. Um, sure it wasn't tony i mean i love tony but it wasn't, it wasn't him i'll tell you that much well and i i think i said this in in the ultron episode is that for me you know cap like i said cap is my guy and it's because i find him admirable and aspirational mm-hmm. i think that tony is far more realistic most of the time he's a pragmatist for sure yes yeah and mm-hmm. he he feels like much more of the real person who has gone through these traumas and has really suffered for it mm-hmm. and can be very selfish, right? But he, you, he's still a hero for all the reasons we said earlier. But Cap is the one who, he, he transcends that level even. As somebody who is human, he, yeah. he totally transcends that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why I like him so much because he's, he's what we aspire to be, you know? It's so true. On the idea of sacrifice, we spoke a little bit about some of the other characters who make sacrifices are willing to. Can I just mention? Yeah. I feel bad. Got to give a plug to Bucky. I feel yes. like we feel so bad. He always gets sh- kind of shoved under Love the rug Bucky. as compared to Cap because he's technically in the exact same arc of not realizing, oh my God. you know, coming back, um, you know, from all those years, not even knowing who he is. Like at least Cap had the memories, right? Mm-hmm. Bucky's going through this whole mental trauma of it. So I feel like we really are easy to forget his role because he starts as a villain yeah. And becomes, you know, an ally of the Avengers. But even what he's going through, his personal loss, right? And again, being labeled as a criminal. Um, you know, I just want to give him a quick plug because again, it is an interesting concept to think about, you know, do you blame the, you know, executioner mm. or the person that gave him the orders, right? Yep. And I think that's something even in military life we grapple with, right? You know, do we, you know, blame the general or the soldier, right? So all those bad things he did, should he have known better, right? To not do those things, having the same, you know, kind of history as Cap, being brought up the same way as Cap. But then we see full circle and come back around and still do the right thing. So I did want to give a quick plug to, I feel like Bucky always gets, and, you know, I feel bad because I almost just right there did the same thing. He always gets kind of swept under the rug as just kind of like, oh, whatever. He joined the universe a little later, so. No, I completely agree. I think that he, what makes him so heroic is, you know, he had these things happen to him and he... Even while Steve and everybody else is telling him, "Hey, that wasn't that wasn't you. You didn't have a mm-hmm. you couldn't choose." Mm-hmm. That he makes that decision at the end of Civil War to go back under, right? Because he doesn't want to be responsible for yep. you know his body being the vehicle for these mm-hmm. bad things, and he's so willing to join this fight in this movie in Wakanda when he says to T'Challa, "You know, where's the fight?" Where's and when the they fight? Presents him the new arm. There and, you go. Where's the fight? Um, I loved that. I yeah, love that scene. I mm-hmm. absolutely loved that too. Love. Uh, love rocket and uh oh i'm gonna get that arm (laughs) i'm gonna get that arm rocket's great i love rocket i rocket might be my favorite guardian really yeah there's a hot take Mm -hmm. hot take hot sizzle yeah i love that i do love how you know poor chris pratt 
They, he, he took it with such stride when they call him fat, basically, in the beginning. He's like, all right, I'm going to get a bow flex. I'm going to commit. I thought that was a very funny... Because, again, it shows that they're human, right? Like, he's, Peter, he's Star-Lord. He's Peter Quill. He's technically half God, right? Mm-hmm. We, we have to keep that in mind. That's but why he was able to hold the, an Infinity the Stone. The 50% of me, that's, that's dumb. 100% that's 100% you. you. I love that scene. He's like, your math is blowing my mind. <laughs> um, but, yeah, even though he is half human... You know, he has those flaws. And I think that's just an important theme that we come back to, that the writers are very cognizant that as much as this is a superhero movie, you know, it is about growth. It's about learning. um, And it's about understanding our flaws, trying to improve them when we can. Um, Because even Thor, you know, in that moment on the ship where he's like, you know, I've lost everything. And he's just so focused on getting revenge. And even in Ragnarok where he calls them the the Revengers. The Revengers, yeah. Right. It's still about, you know, trying to do the right thing at the end of the day. Well, completely. Um, I mean, Thor at that point, after having lost everything, fighting so hard. It in. I would have been like, you know what, guys, I'm tapping out. You know, oh like, my I'm God. I, yeah. You know, the whole Asgard is a people, not a place. And then meanwhile, half these people yeah. at least are being slaughtered as well. These refugees, he watches Heimdall die. He watches Loki die for mm-hmm. not the first time, but you know, like right. he says, but this time it's going to stick. Essentially, yeah. Right. I mean, and he, he, he shares with Rocket and again, somewhat humorously, like his history with his family, but mm-hmm. he has lost everything mm-hmm. and he's still willing to fight. Yeah. It's crazy. He, it's almost like he's never fought me. He's like, yes, he did. He's, like, he's never, he's, he's never, never beat me, me a second time. Yeah. You know, like, and the same thing happened in Ragnarok with Hela, right? When he when yeah. he loses to her the first time, and he and he comes back because again his commitment to do what is right, even though it's just, uh, destroying the physical, uh, you know, portion of Asgard. But his dad and oh man, I love Anthony Hopkins. I will tell you so much. He's like Asgard was never a place. You know, yeah. it's, it's such a powerful moment. And again, that kind of comes back full circle in Endgame with with yeah. what they decide Asgard comes to be. Yeah, it's and again, that's you know this question: what what does it mean to be an Avenger? I mean, that that's it right there. That, that continuing to fight even when you don't have to anymore. Mm-hmm. He's under no obligation. Even when you do not have to, I think that's a great yeah, quote. He's under no obligation. Rocket, interestingly, when when Thor says, "What else do I have to lose?" and Rocket just says, you know, under his breath, like, well, "I kind of have a lot to lose." Yeah, right. And that to me too shows like you know if we're talking about this idea of found family of the connections that these communities have, right? Rocket is an example of, I almost said a person, but an example <laughs> of someone who he he's gained through being mm-hmm. part of this community. But again, you know, they're all willing to sacrifice it. They're all willing to leave their life down. I would be, yeah. You know what's funny? Now that I'm thinking about it, I would probably argue he gained the most yeah. out of any Avenger probably by becoming part of this family. Um, because even Quill in the moment says, I know you're only going with him, right? I know you're only going with Thor because that's where Thanos won't be, mm-hmm. right? Kind of identifying that, yeah, like Rocket has always been that selfish type of character because he's yeah. only ever had to think about himself. But then making sure that Thor gets Stormbreaker, they come back, they fight, you know? Um, yeah. yeah, I think it, it is an important development for him but yeah, that's a great point there yeah. <laughs> i think you know on the topic of sacrifice the one last big example i wanted to bring up mm-hmm. was the conversation between wanda vision steve and bruce like that whole discussion yes vision identifies you know vision is very logical identifies all right if we destroy the mind stone mm-hmm. or there, there's going to be a way that we should we could be able to destroy the mind stone and that's it um of course wanda we're not having this conversation right wanda is very much, you know, has come from the school of Cap. Yeah. Right? He's Mm -hmm. the one who says to her in Civil War, right, that that quote that I love, this job, you know. It's something to that effect. Yeah, now now it's escaping me. Yeah. Or he even says we don't trade lives. Like in that moment, he says that to Vision. He's like, we don't trade lives. Exactly. Well, yeah, right. So I'm thinking, so she comes from his line of thinking of we do what we can to save as many people as we mm-hmm. can. Mm-hmm. And if we don't try to do that, maybe next time no one gets saved, right? That right. was kind of the line mm-hmm. that he said. So she's thinking, no, we don't even have this conversation. He says we don't trade lives. And Vision is like, well, this could be the only way. Like one life can't stay in the way, stand yeah. in the way of defeating Thanos. Mm-hmm. And why is this different than you sacrificing yourself right when, he did when that you went down on that plane? Exactly. And I think that was yeah. a really interesting question. Of course, Bruce comes in and then sort of says, well, Vision has, you, you might have a choice here that you mm-hmm. might not have to do this. Um, and then there's also that element, again, sort of similar with Gamora and Peter, right? That he's asking Wanda to do it because mm-hmm. she's the only one who can do it. Mm-hmm. And it's that idea of like asking someone else to do it for you, right? Like yeah. when you're put in that position that you're taking someone else's life, even when they want you to, I mean, whoa, mm-hmm. like right. the weight of that. So it's, I think it's really interesting. And then of course, 
you know, just like Peter <laughs> does it, but doesn't do it. Mm-hmm. It's the same with Wanda, right? She mm-hmm. does it. But then, of course, Thanos undoes it. Yeah. The, just like that amount of pain. Like, could you imagine being Peter or Wanda in those situations and literally saying like, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to kill the person who right. I love. Mm-hmm. And then it doesn't work anyway. Being undone. Oh, my God. Crazy. I don't envy them. I'll tell you that much. Seriously. But you, you know what's, I, man, I'm doing disservice to so many characters. Barely talked about Bruce. Yeah. That whole dynamic where he couldn't turn into the Hulk. So right? Good. Talk about identity and having an identity crisis, right? Because really, it is the first time that you know him as uh the hulk is humbled right in that battle with thanos would have probably died right had he not been transported back to earth it is just such an interesting thing to discuss because for him he's been grappling in ragnarok right not even realizing that he was hulk for two years right thinking he has a a grapple that he's you know kind of had a hand on the wheel he says right poetically like i always thought we both had a hand on the wheel but I was, in fact, locked in the trunk without a key. And, you know, kind of this inability to really control even his, himself is just is just such a, sh- like, again, I think for us, for him, just such a shock. It's really hard for him to parcel through. I do love how Tony kind of makes fun of him. He's like, you're embarrassing me in front of the wizard. So like, come on, man. <laughs> right? But it just, yep. it just so, you know, it's just so important to think about because his original character, Hulk, he couldn't control it, right? Mm-hmm. Now he couldn't even turn into Hulk if he wanted to. Right? Yeah. So it's just such an interesting I think 180. It's such a good arc for Bruce too. And again, I I keep being blown away by how all of all these characters, all these relationships have such nice arcs in this movie, mm-hmm. despite the fact that there are so many characters here. But for Bruce, okay, sure, it doesn't get completely resolved. And we see the resolve in Endgame with what happens between him and Hulk, right? But, you know, the the scene when he's in the suit. And he's, you know, he's one last time he's asking for Hulk to come out and Hulk just screaming no. And Mm -hmm. he says, I'll do it myself. Right. Like that moment for Bruce to say, you know, Bruce, you too have power, right? Mm -hmm. Like you too are an Avenger, right? Um, It's not just quote unquote, the other guy. Right. And then he says to him, um, Hulk, we got a lot to figure out, pal. Right. Like, like he's, he's talking to him in that Mm -hmm. way. Like they're almost, I think that that's really, really interesting. Just, just because I I love Ragnarok so much. There's that scene where Thor, he's like, Oh, I don't like Banner. He's just all books and thinking. I like you Hulk smash, smash. And then when it's Banner, he's like, Oh, I don't like Hulk. You know, I prefer you. Right? I prefer you. <laughs> I prefer you. But to be honest, it would be nice if he came back out, right? It's 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 funny again, like that. Uh, just mm-hmm. that, that real, just those funny moments that make you laugh. But again, it like as you were saying, Tara, just kind of does reveal something else in the character arc of each person, where Banner himself has to deal with like people either liking him as Banner, but then also there's that like people do like or need him as Hulk, right? That. Sometimes it can't be one or the other until, as you said, Endgame, where right. it kind of gets figured out for himself. I guess um, you brought him up a minute ago, and one character we didn't talk as much about is, is Doctor Strange. Mm-hmm. I don't know what your feelings are on him. I When I first saw the movie Doctor Strange, it took me, took me a bit to get into it. Mm-hmm. Now, he, I'm, a, I'm a big fan. Yeah. And I'm partially because seeing Doctor Strange in these other movies has made me really like Doctor Strange. Mm-hmm. I think that the the humor of him interacting with Wong and Tony and Bruce, mm-hmm. I think that was a great team. It and was. and Peter Parker, great yep. team. Oh, oh, we're using our made up names. And- oh, we're using our made up names. <laughs> Peter Spider Man, I love that too. So that good. Um, but I I think that he plays a, a a nice role here in this movie, and he's so adamant that he you know telling Tony and Peter, I will sacrifice you mm-hmm. for this time stone. Like, mm-hmm. don't get it twisted, right? Mm-hmm. And then of course. He does tell Thanos in the end to spare Tony's life and gives him the stone. But this is the counterpoint to all of our other sacrifice stories, right? Because Strange knows what's going to happen. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. He, he knows does. that without Tony, right. then Something none like, of this I works. think it was 16 million or 18 million timelines he went into the future in, and right. they only you know, were victorious in one. You're absolutely right. It's kind of like he cheated it, right? I mean, I, you kind of asked my opinion. I definitely, first of all, I love the actor. I think he's an incredibly talented. I agree with you. It took me a bit to get into Doctor Strange. It's almost funny because like he's got a bit of that arrogance. He's, you know, he's kind of, he really is an ass. Right? He really <laughs> is so arrogant sometimes. Yep. Like as that typical doctor and all this. But I think you're so right. He plays such an important role. And if you think about it, everything that leads up to that as really one of the only controllers of a stone successfully, yep. right? I know, I, I know it's the time stone, but. Frankly, it's the only reason Thanos wins, if you think about it, because when Wanda is able to destroy Vision Stone, 
he has the time stone right. at that point. He's like, oopsie daisy. You know, it's like on Netflix when you click back, back twice, right? Yep. 15 seconds back. And that's why. So it's it's really interesting that you almost want to give him the most respect because he is very, very, very much so in kind of a realization of the power that he wields yes. with the time stone. And he doesn't. What's the word I'm looking for? He doesn't abuse it. He does not abuse right. the time stone, right? He does see it as this sacred thing that should only be used for good. Exactly. And what I like about his arc is that when he, when he was a medical doctor, it was all about the glamour for mm-hmm. him. It was all about, I'm only going to take cases that are going to get me the fame and the notoriety. Yeah. And I'm not going to ruin my perfect streak by, by you know, um, helping to save some old woman, right? Like, yeah. so complete, complete arrogance. And how little glamour there is to being in his role of being the sorcerer's stream is frankly exactly right. and um being in control of that stone so again i think a great arc for him uh like him so much in these movies and then you know upon subsequent rewatches of doctor strange really appreciate that movie more mm-hmm. man we've talked about a lot of characters we did we're not messing around here listen <laughs> we're, we're we're here to to talk shop and maybe learn something too right I, you've been blowing my mind too i'll be honest with you that's why i love having these conversations with you no, absolutely. I know. And just like the, the more you talk about it with, with different people, get different perspectives, you start to think about things in different ways. Next and episode, we're just going to do a color commentary as we're watching the movie. We're just going to be the director's cut. We should just do a director's cut. I have thought of that, like doing a, a, like a live watch. I love it. Anything that we miss that is pressing I, on I'm your sure mind? We were just super thorough. I, I'm i sure <laughs> as soon as I get home, I'll be like, oh my goodness, I wish we had talked about X, Y, and Z. But you know, it's just so nice when we're able to sit down and share our love for a franchise and what our thoughts are. And it's just, you know, it's, it's incredible. It's incredible that movies can get us to this point where we're just in such rich conversation. Um, but also I think learning something from it. Right. I agree. And that's what I love about this franchise so much. And I appreciate that you recognize that too. And that's why I really was excited to talk about this one with you. We're the best. It's just basically what it is. This, this, this podcast is <laughs> the amazing. End. <laughs> the end. Amazing. Um, well, thank you again, Tara though, for having me. Thanks Rob. This was awesome. As always, if you enjoyed this discussion, please consider leaving a rating and review. You can follow the podcast at anidea underscore podcast on Twitter and Instagram. Artwork was designed by Brooke Pender, who you can follow on Instagram at Pender Illustrations. Music by Demeter Salvia, who you can find on Bandcamp. Thank you for listening, and join me next time for a unique episode in which my friend Carolyn breaks down the different colors of the Infinity Stones and shares some analysis as to what those colors mean. See you next time.